This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, so this is the first, uh, first Sunday in Advent. You probably think, what on earth is that about? Um, and it feels like the season of Advent has kind of been swallowed up in the sort of marketing about Christmas. So you f- you're probably thinking, well, it's Christmas already. It's Christmas. Christmas actually doesn't start till Christmas Day, and then it's 12 days after that. The, se- the period before it is called Advent. And Advent literally means that the arrival of something or someone significant. And it feels like the last vestiges of this Am I echoey? Am I okay? The last vestige of this is like advent calendars. Uh, I was talking to uh, a young child, uh, a young uh, Clement, yesterday, and they've got a calendar. But I said, it's an advent calendar. And he said, no, it's chocolate. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, well, it's got some work to do. But, you know, and it feels like that, 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 that I'm not going to go at him, he's lovely. But it feels like, you know, that we, we've kind of lost this kind of sense of waiting and anticipation because we want it now. We want the presents now. We want everything now. Uh, in fact, my lodger, uh, she got some gifts from her family, and her family said, why don't you open them now? Then I couldn't, and videos. And I was like, no, it's not. It's not even yet. And so we, we kind of live in this Advent world uh, where we're waiting, but we don't like to wait. But actually, this feels like there's something that we're, but there's something or someone that we're, we're, we're waiting for. We're not sure who or what in, in society. Um, obviously, if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, you know what it is. But, but, you know, but the world is kind of waiting for something and it's not sure what. Uh, Augustine, uh, 1600 years ago, wrote this sentence. Our hearts are restless until. I don't know what you'd put in the until. What would you put in the until? Until we raise that family and build that relationship, until we buy that house and do that extension, until we get that job or achieve that goal, until we have that holiday, please. I'm desperate for holiday. I saw some pictures of people walking in the south of France. We were on Le Campton Hill in the minus six. And I thought, oh, I don't know where I'd rather be. And, you know, and there's that kind of sense of until, until. And Augustine's heart was restless, and he indulged in his sexual desires and fed his appetites for pleasure. But he finishes his sentence with this until. You might be, I've used this before. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. So I've got the gaps between the big events from what I'm doing. And so this week and then two weeks' time and then the carol service, I'm going to be talking about Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Um, Dave, I think there's a deep longing in the human heart. And we don't even know what it's for, but the deep longing that's wired into the human heart is that we're restless for God. We're restless for God with us. Uh, that David, uh, King David, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 63, verse 1. You, um, you are my God. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole heart and soul longs for you. 
as in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the temple and beheld your glory because your love is better than life. And to understand the kind of what the longing that David expressed in there that I long for you, God, or the restlessness that Augustine felt, uh, or the sense that we all feel deep down, I want us to back up and geek out on the, the, the big story of God's presence. So we're going to do two parts. Uh, I, I, my wife likes loads of application in her sermons. And, and there is application, but actually most of it's in two weeks' time. So we're going to race through the big story, but I think that you're going to find it really helpful because one of the things that we've observed uh, as leaders is you, that, that we forget the story we're in. We forget the big story we're in, and we live the story of the, the, that we see on the TV or the media. We get, we get the big story, and we forget that we live in this big story uh, 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 and part of the lines of this big story are God's presence. So we're going to go super fast through BC, everything up to Jesus, and then next week, next two weeks' time, we're going to go AD. So are you good for that? It's tough because you're here. Okay, so f- let's start right at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, it's t- uh, God, where does God live? Heaven. The dwelling place of God is heaven. The heavens that were created... Well, this is the cosmos. Don't get confused. God, God, the logic of the sentence is, in the beginning, there was God, wasn't there? And he created the heavens and the earth. So heaven and heavens are not the same thing. Heaven is where God dwells. Heavens is the cosmos. But, uh, but I know it's a little confusing. Don't worry about it. But what is really clear is where's, where does humanity, where does humanity live? Humanity lives on the earth. And God makes that really clear because he creates a, a, a man called Adam, and Adam sounds like earth. It sounds like Adamo. It sounds like dust or earth. He's made out of the earth. And so there's a clarity right at the beginning that, that, that we've got this space where God dwells called heaven, and we've got this space where humanity dwells called earth. Now, in the beginning, heaven and earth were united. Heaven and earth were joined together in a place called Eden. A paradise garden where, where God was present, where there was no separation, no distance between God and humanity. God and humanity were together, this beautiful togetherness, this oneness. And actually, just as a little sidebar, there's a picture of, of oneness. If you're married uh, this morning, that's a picture of heaven and earth being joined together. And in fact, you could say that when uh, man and wife are joined together, it feels like heaven, but we won't go there this morning. But there's a sense where uh, uh, that man, uh, uh, heaven and earth, I, I, I might have even got a slide. Is there a slide? Was there a slide there? No. Why does that happen? I edit my slides and it goes back to the one I saved three weeks previous. Anyway, never mind. So, so a man and a woman are, are, are together. So the Bible says so. So it says that a man will leave his wife. Uh, leave his family and be joined. And leave his wife. Man will be leave his family, be joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. And that's a picture of heaven and earth being joined together. Um, that's just a freebie. I'll put that in. But now, what we see in Eden is heaven and earth joined together. And the best picture of that is God walks with humanity in the garden. It says the man and wa- the man and his wife heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And we just read that, don't we? And just think, oh, that's the story. Just imagine 
Just imagine. I've been watching this thing called Universe. Has anyone been watching it on BBC? No, I'm like, must be the saddest geek in the church. It's, it's, it's very, very, kind of, the guy's a real atheist, but it's got these amazing pictures of stars and planets and stuff. And I just, the, the, the guy who does it, uh, uh, Professor Brian Cox, wants you to believe it's all chance. And I'm just, everything about it is screaming like, this is God, this is God, this is God. And I think that God, that amazing creator God, walked with Adam and Eve like you go for a walk. We just think, wow. Yeah, that's what happened. That is amazing. Why does that feel particularly amazing? Why does it feel almost impossible for us to imagine today? Because the first humans believed a lie. The first humans believed a lie that God is not good, that God's not to be trusted, that God's love's a sham, that he's setting up restrictions on our freedom and keeping the best for himself. So we believed a lie, an illusion of freedom and self-rule without God. So we, heaven and earth, were joined together. God was with us, and we basically said, God, we don't want you. We don't want you here. We want to rule ourselves. We want to decide what's right and wrong in our own eyes. We want to make our own morality, and boy, do we see that in our society. And so what happened is that, that, that we rejected God, and, and, we, and we hid from God's presence. We said, God, I don't want to be here. God's walking in the garden. We say, oh, no, I want to hide. I don't want to be with you. Isaiah uh, 59 says, your sins have separated you from your God. Because of your sins, he's hidden his face from you. And heaven and earth are separated. And so longer, Adam and Eve, they no longer find themselves in God's presence. They find them uh, no longer in the beautiful garden. They find themselves outside in, in this dry and parched land. They found themselves outside. So a beautiful garden, fruitful blessing. They find themselves outside in this dry and parched land, which actually is a picture of what it's like to be without God. Yes, it's following. Great. It's a picture of what it's to be without God. And, and they're forbidden from entering God's presence. Suddenly, instead of God feeling close and walking with them, the, the, God feels far away. Do you feel that? Because the world is like that. That's the world that our rejection of God has created. We often feel God is far away. I remember when, when we moved to Manchester, uh, and we were there for three months before I saw the sun. And, um, and the people in Manchester said, yeah, there is a sun there. It's up there somewhere. And I thought, well, you know, I know it is, but it's kind of hard to perceive and see. You know the story in Manchester. If, if you can see the hills, it's raining. Uh, if, uh, if you, what is it? If you can't see the hills, it's raining. And if you, if you can see them, it's about to rain or something. I, go, <laughs> I can't remember. It's been too long. It was supposed to be funny, and it just made me look silly. <laughs> But the idea that, like, well, we kind of know the sun's there somewhere. We kind of know God's there somewhere. But obviously this cloud, this sin has separated us from God's presence. And Adam and Eve find themselves away from God's presence. But God isn't prepared to leave it to stay like that. He, te- he speaks to a guy, a childless man uh, and wife called Adam and, uh, Abraham and Sarah. And heaven and earth begin to overlap. He, he says, God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your uh, blessing to the nations. It's almost like I'm going to make you a little bit of Eden, a blessing, a fruitful place. Oh, you haven't got any kids? I'm going to make you fruitful and I'm going to make that fruitfulness go to the whole earth. 
And then 400 years later, that nation that Abraham was going to be is in slavery. Is in slavery, and Israel becomes slaves in Egypt, but God creates a space. He creates a space where heaven and earth overlap. And I will just slow a little bit here, having gone fast. He appears to Moses in a burning bush. Let's read it, Exodus 3, verse uh, 4. When the Lord saw that he'd, he'd gone over to look, that's Moses had gone over to look, God called him from within the, the burning bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Don't come any closer, said God. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. In the garden, God and man, God and humanity could be face to face, but suddenly you see this distance. Moses is, is scared to come close. In fact, the father, God, like a good father, warning the kids, don't touch the fire, says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. Why why does he ask him to take off his sandals? Because sandals walk in the dust of the earth. Sandals say you're you're, you're the man of dust from the earth. And And this is a place of heaven. This is holy ground. We sang in our song. There's a sense where Moses is has to take off his sandals. And he can't come close to God, and and he's scared of God. But what God says next is absolutely wonderful, and uh, I've just been living with it for the last few weeks, which is why it's made its way into the sermon. What God says to, to Moses next is his plan to save Israel, but actually if you hear it, you can hear Jesus whispering his plan to save the world. So in verse 7 of Exodus, it's... Um, it says and the Lord said to him just hear what God does in these moments I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers I'm concerned about their suffering and I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey I mean, what's God doing? He says, I have seen the misery. I have heard their cries. I'm concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue. I've come down to bring you up. It's like Jesus. You can almost hear this is the story, isn't it? It's like if you think now God's far away, he says, no, I've seen you. I've seen what your life is like. I'm concerned I've heard your cries. I've heard those moments where I thought, oh, this life's too hard. He says, I've come down. I've come down. I've come down to, to rescue you. I've come down to, to bring you up. Heaven and earth, suddenly we get this overlap. Heaven and earth. God's saying, no, heaven and earth are going to overlap. I'm, I've come down. I'm going I'm to bring you to another place. I'm going to bring you to where I dwell. We get this moment, again, a passage that I love is, get this moment in Exodus 33 where God speaks to Moses and it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as, as one speaks to his friend. Why, do, why, does, why, why is that recorded? Because actually Moses couldn't do that, could he? You know, Moses couldn't do that. In, the, in Exodus 3, he couldn't do that. He, could, he turned his face away, but God did something in him 
that he could be in his presence. And I love that story. It says he used to pitch a tent and, and go and, and pray. And it says he prayed to, to God as a man speaks to his friend face to face. And then his young assistant, Joshua, which is the same name as Jesus, uh, Joshua used to stay in there afterwards and just enjoy the presence. And Moses got to realize that being the people of God's presence was absolutely what it's all about. Moses says to the Lord, remember that this nation is your people. Then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you're pleased with me and will hit your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the peoples on the face of the earth? You know, I, I, when we prayed together at the beginning, uh, after we'd finished the setup, Gavin and Enos were here early. Well done for being here early. That's not to condemn the rest of you, but well done for being here early. And I said, oh, I'm preaching on God's presence. And Gav goes, oh, good. There's something about, your Gav kind of knew, don't you, Gav? You kind of know that, that, that God's presence is what marks us out. You know, we could say, well, we've got great community, and that marks us out. I could say, you know... Some churches have got great buildings or high technology. Not this church, obviously. One day, maybe. But, you know, we can say, well, what marks us out? What marks us out? Oh, our demographic marks us out. Oh, we are kind of younger church. What really marks us out, what distinguishes us, is that we're a people of God's presence. And God tells Moses to make a place where heaven and earth would overlap. He says, make, make a sanctuary for me, and he says, I have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell amongst them. Yes, it's there. I will dwell amongst them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Tabernacle is a what? It's a tent. It's literally a tent. But actually it's a special kind of tent. It's a place of divine dwelling. And if you read in the Old Testament, there's all these like massive instructions about how to make the tent. Has anyone managed to plough through that? There's like... And it says, and make the poles, and make the poles of this kind of wood, and make the rings of this, and make the rings of that, and the curtains, make them this thick and this long, and weave this into it. And you think, oh, flip, it's like an Ikea manual, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> what is he on? Is God like really, is he obsessed, a bit of feng shui? You know, he wants his furniture just arranged, put the table here, and put that there, and put the lamp there. He's like, God, you, what's going on? But actually, if you, read, if you read it, all the imagery is all of fruit and trees and gardens. It's, it's saying, hey, this is a little picture of where? This is a little picture of Eden. This is a picture of God with us. And then what happens is as they, as they finish the making the temple, the, the dwelling of God, the tabernacle, they finish making that, does anybody know what happens? Hmm... Yeah, go, go for it, Crystal. God's glory comes down. It says like, you know, the, it, the God's glory filled the tent. Later they build a, a, a stone version called the temple. And what happens? When they finish, God's presence fills the temple. It's like, wow, I want to dwell with you. And what happened in, these, in the temple and tabernacle? It was kind of zoned off. It was zoned off to the outside where people could stand and watch. And then there was an inner court. And then there was the tenty bit. And then behind the curtain inside that tenty bit, there was like a, the Holy of Holies. It was like separate. And that was like 
they believed for the tabernacle and the temple, that was where God was present on the earth. That's where heaven touched earth. But it was separated by a big, big curtain. They couldn't go in. They couldn't just wander into God. Even though God was dwelling in the tent in the middle of the camp, they couldn't just wander in. They, they, they had to be careful what they had to do. So even as heaven and earth overlapped, sin separated and there was a curtain to say there had to be a distance. They couldn't just, just go in. Because God's space is full of goodness and holiness and beauty and justice and righteousness, but our face is full of sin and selfishness and injustice and some brokenness. And it's almost like these spaces couldn't overlap. This is like positive and negative. How, how could these two spaces overlap? How could it happen? How could we get so that God and man could dwell together because we've got this problem? And the answer we see in this thing called the Day of Atonement. Let me go quick. And the Day of Atonement literally means at one moment. It means to bring together, at one, to bring together. And they have this Day of Atonement. They still have it in Israel, Yom Kippur. And they'd have two goats. One goat, they'd put their hands on the goats and they'd say, my, my injustice, my evil, my sin, my selfishness, that's going on to that goat. And then one goat, they, they used to send outside the camp. Like we can say, we can get rid of that outside the camp. It used to go outside the camp and outside Jerusalem. And it go outside and say, right, we're getting rid of all that. That sin's going outside. And the other one, did, what did they do with that? Used to kill it and sacrifice it. And then what happened was that with that blood, the high priest could go inside the curtain and he used to put a chain on his leg or a rope on his leg because they worried that he died because of his sin. And he'd go inside the curtain once a year, like special, and he'd go inside the curtain and go, wow, and he'd have washed himself and cleaned himself up like he's going out on a, on a date. You know, he's put some perfume on and he's looking good, and, but he's got this blood and he's going in. He's going in and it's like, okay. And then he puts the blood on the altar on the whole, and goes back out. And that was it. It's funny, isn't it, what Mark said about perspective? <laughs> we can feel like, oh, I can be in God's presence. And we can, yeah, God's everywhere. It's great. God's everywhere. I pray in the morning. He's everywhere. Gather with his people. You know, they, they, for, for those people to be in God's presence, it was like a big deal. Once a year, a, a sacrifice that cost them. And we're like, and I'm not having a pop. You know, I had, the, I had the Sunday off last Sunday. I'm not having a pop. You know, we just think, oh, it's just, yeah, I'll pop along. I've got to go. No, we get to go. We get to go. We get to go in. We get to go in. We get to be with him. We might not feel like God's present here with a glory cloud, and wouldn't it be great? But the fact is, God is present when his people dwell. But there's another downward twist, and I need to go quick now. There's another downward twist because it feels like, great, God's dwelling with his people. We've got the temple, we've got the tabernacle. You can go into God, they can have a sacrifice. But what happens is that the, 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 the people just take it completely for granted. Heaven and earth unite. There's this place where God dwells with his people and they don't care. And what we get is in, in Ezekiel, we get this vision. We see vision. He sees God's people just kind of, they're basically going crazy. It's like this debauched party right in the temple. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just carry on doing my sin. I'll carry on doing my thing. I don't have to be holy. I, I don't care. And then what happens, if you know the story, is God's, it says God's glory 
ascended, where it had come down on the temple, ascended, and it's it almost like it kind of, God's glory, it says it, it, it went around, circled around, and then went. And suddenly, everything goes bad. The temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. They thought, there's no way that this temple where God dwells can be destroyed. The Babylonians come in and destroy it. And it's just kind of this kind of mess. But in, in, in exile, Ezekiel sees a vision of a new temple. And if you read Ezekiel, you think, man, it's a crazy, weird book. He's obviously been drinking or smoking some stuff. Oh, that, that didn't go down well, did it? No, no, he's obviously under the Spirit of God, but it's kind of a weird book, isn't it? And he sees like a, a new Eden. He sees a, an, an Eden had a river that flowed out from it. And he sees this river flowing out from the temple, this kind of blessing of God flowing out, getting deeper and deeper, flowing out into the dry and parched land, like a bit like where, where the place where, where Adam and Eve were. And there's just this river flowing out. And he says... I will, God says to Ezekiel, I will put my holy place among them forever. He's not going to push off again. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so what happens is they, after they go, come back from exile, they build a temple, and, and actually it's quite not bad, but they basically feel like, oh, this is just rubbish. Some people are quite excited that they built the temple, but other ones are like, this is rubbish. It says the older ones who saw the temple just kind of wept. And you don't know why they wept. It doesn't say why they wept. It doesn't say why they were disappointed. Was it because it wasn't quite as big? Was it because there wasn't so much gold or the, temp- or the curtains weren't so fancy? There was something or someone missing because when that temple was built, what didn't happen? The God's glory never came down. It's almost like they wept because there's something missing. You you can have the building, you can have the structure, you can have the priest, you can have all the sacrifices, but if God isn't there, and they wait for someone, we'll get to it now, we're landing down, get to Jesus. Man, I could have talked three weeks on Jesus. You think, man, he's talked for three weeks already. Okay, so we we get to Jesus, and I think, whoa, it's Isaiah 7. 44, 14, we read it at our carol service. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him, read it with me, Emmanuel, which means God with us. We read it at carol services. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. That word dwelling is the word tabernacle. Oh, oh. There's a, there's a new place where God, God meets with us. And it's not a tent. It's a human being. It's Jesus. God, the word became flesh and made his tabernacle amongst us. We've seen his glory. Where did that glory come from? That glory is the one that fell on the temple. We've seen his glory as he just kind of wandered around. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's claiming that Jesus is now the tabernacle, the temple. He's the the place where heaven and earth overlap. So why does God need to become a man? Because God takes on flesh. Suddenly, the man of heaven becomes flesh. He walks in the dust of the earth. He carries our flesh. He becomes one of us. There's no overlap like that. His, I mean, I, I'm sure Jesus was at the bur- burning bush said, I have seen, I've heard, 
I'm concerned. I've come down to rescue. What does his name mean? Rescuer. And to bring you up into a new place. Where's that place? It's heaven. But heaven and earth are going to overlap, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, But Jesus doesn't live behind the curtain, does he? You know where God used to live behind the curtain, you think, we can't get to God. Jesus doesn't live behind the curtain, so you can't come close to me. I'm really holy. Stay away from me. You can't come close to me. Jesus is out there, isn't he? He's out there mixing with all the people that he shouldn't be mixing with. And they're all like, What? This isn't God. God's not supposed to do that. Is he with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and people like you? People like me? And he's kind of walking amongst us. And, he, and they don't need to take their sandals off, does they? do they? Even though he's holy, they don't need to take their sandals off and say, Jesus, I can't come here. In fact, he takes their sandals off and washes their feet, doesn't he? And, he's t- where, and we say, heaven's touching earth. Jesus is, is, is taking to the, to the leper. Sorry, you're going to be the leper. And he's touching the leper. And where you touch the leper before the leper would make the, the person unclean, Jesus is touching, heaven's touching earth. He's touching the leper with his holiness and his goodness. And he makes the leper clean. Say amen. amen. We become clean with his touch. Heaven touches earth. His holiness is contagious. He touches you. Like the paralyzed person, the paralyzed man, and says, Your sins are forgiven. And they go, Who is he? What's he doing? Heaven's touching earth. Jesus is declaring the kingdom of heaven is amongst you. Heaven has come to earth. God's creating, God, Jesus is creating these incredible overlaps between heaven and earth right there in the middle of the broken world. It's like they had this idea that, that they were going to kind of beam me up, Scotty. I know they didn't have Star Trek in those days, but you get the idea. The idea was, we're going to go to this other place when it's going to be good. But now Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to create that heaven right here on earth. I'm going to create that dwelling place right here on earth. And you'd think the people were going, yes. But they were going, No. Jesus is betrayed and rejected. The humanity repeats the pattern in the garden. I don't want this guy. Pilate says, what shall I do then with this Jesus who's called the Messiah, Pilate asked them. And they all answered, crucify him. Jesus is taken out the, outside the city. What went outside the city? The goat that was covered in the sin of the people is taken outside the city. We're going to take it outside and get rid of it. Jesus is taken outside. He's exiled. He's in a dry and parched land. He's, he's on the cross and he says, I'm thirsty. Because he's in a dry and parched land. He's no longer in Eden. He's carrying our sin and our separation from God. He, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We should feel that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you are a follower of Jesus and God feels far away, you should feel like, God, where are you? Because that's the place that sin puts us. And Jesus carrying our sin cries, God, why am I separated from you? In his humanity, not in his divinity, God's not ever divided. But he's saying, God, where are I? And what happens to the curtain? The curtain that kept everyone, what happens to the curtain? And it says, Matthew uh, uh, 27, verse 50. Oh, not 50, verse 27, sorry. Okay, when Jesus cried out, 
Again, in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God's coming out. We're allowed in. Yeah, you've heard it before. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm not, yeah, big deal. What's the big deal here? You know, I know this. Jesus' destination, though, is not the grave, though, is it? It's not exiled in the grave. He's taken down into the grave. Sin and death and brokenness. And he comes out of the grave. And where's he going to be? He tells the thief, today I'm going to be with you in the garden. That's what paradise means. I'm going to be with you in the garden. That's what he says to all of us. I'm going to be with you in the garden. We're going to sing a song as we break bread. It says the right, we'll have to move. This is going to be fun now, isn't it? So I'll just do this, shall I? Okay. Uh, it's in Christ alone. It's a really old song. You know, but we've been, we've been, we're on a bit of a run of old songs, so it's good. It says, verse says, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, the man of, the man of light slain by darkness. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the dead grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse, the separation, the fear that the judgment has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. What happens when you become a Christian? Is not that you get this, you can get to go to a church meeting where God's presence is felt. And they, we do get those. Actually, God and joins himself with you. You become one with him. Heaven and earth overlap in you because you're in Christ. Ephesians 2 13, we're nearly landing. But now in Christ, you who were far away, exiled, Dry and parched land, fearful, taking off your sandals, can't come close. You who are far away have been brought near. Say near. Isn't that a lovely word? You've been brought near. It says if you've been united with him in a death like this, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. If we died with Christ, we'll believe we also live with him. got more to go on this journey but we've got to Jesus has made it so that you can be with him he says doesn't he I want those you've given me to be with me where I am he says I'm, I'm going away I don't think that's to heaven I think that's to the grave I'm going and when I come back I'm going to make a place so you can be with me the long, deepest longing of the human heart is fulfilled you can be with him you are my God my soul longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. We don't live there anymore. We live in the place of God's presence, the place of God's blessing. And you know, when we, when we go, come to the table, when we come to the table, there's a, a joining of heaven and earth. Paul says this, the cup of blessing is a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread we break is a participation in the body of Christ. Around this table, in some mysterious way, 
not that the blood becomes literal blood or the bread becomes literally Jesus' body, but in some way this is a place where heaven and earth join. This is a place where sins are washed away and separations removed and he hears our concerns and he hears our cries and he hears our misery and he says, he says, I've come, I've come. I've come to lift you up to that good place. That place where you and I dwell together, that garden. Where that place we can sit in the early morning in your little chair, Paul hunting, and say, here I am. Heaven and earth overlap. I'm united with him. He pours his spirit on us. It was a bit of a geek out. I enjoyed it, putting it together. I hope you found it useful. But let's come. Let's come and let heaven touch earth. Let sins be forgiven. Let the curtain be torn. Let's feel closeness and intimacy with him. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.